So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, round two of Super Rugby's in the books. Round three of the Six Nations. There's been some promise from the Queensland Regs, excitement in Canberra, some struggles in Tokyo, and dare say some celebrations in Cardiff this weekend. But another big week ahead, both internationally and provincial rugby. So let's get straight into it. Leo is joining me as always today. Unfortunately, Toby couldn't take time out of his busy schedule to be with us here today. So, straight into it. Performance, player of the round. Leo, who did you have? Uh, last round, I think I had Quade Cooper, and this round I'm sticking with fly half theme, and I'm picking Christian Lelefano, mm. uh, a player who had had some ups and downs last year, struggling to come back to full form after after the um, challenges he'd had with his health. But this this week absolutely blew me away. I'll, I'll admit I'd, I would have written him off and said this guy isn't really up to this, the rigors of Super Rugby anymore. But he was absolutely fantastic this week. Um, kept his team running forward with the ball, putting all his backline through gaps, supporting even after you know making breaks himself, straight back up on his feet and chasing through and being there again like limitless energy and, and just looked a really good combination with Joe Powell, another player who I hadn't thought that much of in recent times. So really impressed with Christian Lelofano. Another guy challenging Bernard Foley for the number 10 jersey at the Wallabies. Yeah, amazing. The last two weeks you've had two number 10s, both um, not really been in consideration for Wallabies, at least in the last 12 months. And suddenly we're, we got a bit of competition at number 10. Yeah, great, great to have competition for Bernard Foley, who's been a, a warrior for the Wallabies for the last few years, but has been really a, a walk-up start without a whole lot of competition. Uh, this will keep him honest. He'll have to focus on coming back into good form because he's got some, some real competition for that position in a World Cup year. Yeah, which is exactly what you want. For myself, uh, I'm picking the man-child, Jordan Patea, the young gun, and who really starred in that Reds backline that unfortunately had a close loss to the Highlanders over in New Zealand. But, God, this gentleman was just immense. I was worried before the season that he wasn't going to get his start at 13, that they were going to go with Chris foaway Sortier, but uh, Brad Thorne came to his senses, named the named the 18-year-old at number 13, and he, he performed. 103 run metres, seven defenders beaten, that's the team high, two offloads and two cr- clean breaks. He just looked threatening every time he got the ball. And he was running over some quality defenders. I think he ran straight through Ben Smith at one point during that game. Yeah, no, he did. Absolutely lit lit up the park in that game. Fantastic seam, uh, having such a success at 13. Quality young player. Definitely needs to be in the Wallabies mix. And, and you know, we, we could be looking at one of, the, one of the most exciting players in the Wallabies jersey for the next decade, potentially. He's just got so much potential and, and mm. doing so well at such a young age. It's great to see. Exactly. Really, really good to see. And that's that just caps it off two positions, 10 and 13, which we were struggling a little bit with selections last year in the Wallabies. And suddenly 
um, where you have standout players, well, multiple players in both of them. Because you could have easily given uh, that selection over to Tavita Kurandrani even in the Brumbies as well. Yeah, possibly Toby's uh, pick in a in a sentia, but uh, I think uh, since he isn't here today to podcast, I think he'd like to just give his shout out to the referees who managed to get through a, a full round without major controversy. Uh, a lot of games flowing pretty well. If anything, I think they were probably le- letting a lot of calls go. Mm. Uh, some teams may feel slightly aggrieved, but it wasn't anything hugely significant that, that was missed. Uh, maybe a forward pass or two in the Waratahs Sunwolves game that could have gone the other way. But aside from that, they were pretty consistent, pretty reasonable, and, and made for some good watching. Yeah, definitely. They definitely let it flow a bit better this year. And oh, Toby, famously a fan of refs in, in all situations. I know he's always a fan of those guys enforcing some laws. Let's get into the rest of the game's breakdowns. And Mentioned it a little bit, Highlanders versus the Reds on Friday afternoon out of Dunedin, Forsyth Bar. And the Reds break onto Super Rugby this year, and God, everyone was touting them as going to be towards the bottom of the competition, but they made everyone stand up and take notice. Uh, this was a really close one, Highlanders just getting home at the end, scoring a late try to win it 36-31. to And a really, really great game to kick off the round. It was exciting all the way, 80 minutes. For the Reds, who were a struggling team last year, you know, pulled together a lot of Queensland country guys. Brad Thorne off a, off a fairly cold start into the season. He's taken this team in the off-season and moulded them into real contenders. And, you know, we were, we were struggling to compete with New Zealand teams at home, let alone go to them in, their, in the first round or the second round for the, the comp. But Reds' first match and go to their house and really shake them up. Um, it's it is a little bit funny with the the players being rested for the All Blacks. Um, we're seeing some unusual uh, selections for the starting 15s for the teams, but nonetheless, all those most of those players are there. Uh, they're all either on the bench or starting, and and the Highlanders only just got away with this one. Uh, huge heart from the Reds. Isaac Rodder playing a couple of days after his father passed away. Mm. Um, I think that that team really lifted and performed for him and for Brad Thorne. Yeah, definitely, and a bit of an inspired performance by Rodder, and yeah, as you say, the rest of the team. They seemed it seemed like watching the game more like what we expect out of some of those New Zealand derbies, those sort of high scoring, like attacking from anywhere, um, really long range tries that come on, and it was just exciting rugby all around the park. The Reds probably only fell over a little bit. Um, with some of their kicking and just giving Ben Smith and some of the Highlanders back three a bit too much space to counter-attack in this one. Yeah, and they're a quality back three, so you can't afford to do that. Uh, and you're right, and, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, when we get to the Brumbies as well. The Reds not not concerned with where they were on the park, looking to attack, looking to challenge the Highlanders, and then in defence being just really aggressive but maintaining their line so that they weren't a, weren't a sieve either. They just looked like they could match those New Zealand teams. And, and the Highlanders are, are in and about the top of the New Zealand conference at the moment. They're two from two so far. Mm. So they're, they're one of the teams to be beaten. And, and the Reds certainly showed they've got the potential to do it. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, couldn't couldn't quite get the win. Some big play from uh, the likes of Aaron Smith and Shannon Frizzell in the second half. He's a man who had that try early in the second half but played immense, and that guy's definitely got to be 
got to be the number one pick at the moment in my mind for the number six for the All Blacks. Yeah, it's a fair call, actually. They've had previously guys like Liam Squire, a few other guys rotating in and out. Um, no one obvious person who has really stood up and grabbed that jersey, so it wouldn't be surprising at all to see Shannon Frizzell snatch it this year. Um, and, and we like in the Reds, we, we see their starting back row, pretty mobile around the park. Between Angus Scott Young, Liam Wright, Caleb Timu, lots of ball carrying, lots of challenging at the ruck. And again, still very young guys. Like They're going to develop even more this season. It's really exciting to see how they're coming along. We saw, again, flashes of it last year, but Red's biggest failure was probably just inconsistency. We knew they could, they could put it together. Just doing it for 80 minutes was the biggest issue, and I think you probably got it for nearly 80 minutes in this first match, which is mm-hmm. excellent. The only thing that sort of they let the Highlanders back in the game a little bit towards the end, and Brad Thorne said it in his post-match press conference that they need to just learn a little bit more of that ruthlessness at the end of the games to close them out, um, not sort of going a bit passive and sitting back and trying to defend that lead that they had because they only had a one-point lead at the end there. And it's to me, it's it's a it's a willingness to hold possession, and I suppose you're taking a risk trying to carry for so many phases and own the ball and just really choke them out. But it's something that another Australian team did really well this weekend, attacked from everywhere and and just dominated possession, wouldn't give the other team the ball. They're not going to score any points without the ball. Mm, Exactly right. But it'll be exciting to see what the Reds can continue to do if they can continue to draw on form like that and play above their potential. Um, Even in this one, the, the Highlanders were given a forward pass leading to a try they're in the first half and they didn't let it get them down they got their own back uh probably with a semi-forward pass from Sefanai Vala to Sarovi um in this game as well let's move on and Saturday afternoon we had the Sunwolves versus the Waratahs up in Prince Chichibo Stadium in Tokyo and a good turnout for this one and a reasonably high scoring game the Waratahs just getting home in what what everyone thought would be a blowout Waratahs have never lost to the Sunwolves and they've never won by less than 21 points in the past. Uh, but this one, much closer, only winning by one point in the end, uh, 31 to 30. It was it was surprising in this one, but the Sunwolves really kept it close. They had a few more of their few more of their regular starters back on, and Hayden Parker leading them around the field. Yeah, the Sunwolves are a threatening team now. Like we, no one can take them for granted. They're not just the whipping boys of the competition. They've they've been developed by these uh, New Zealand coaches and they've got threats all over the park they're bringing in players with more experience more time spent in the super rugby uh competition not just not just coming up through the the japanese competition so no, absolutely every every team should be concerned when they play the sun Wolves that they they could be an upset they just they just play so quickly they lift and and run the ball they take quick taps they they're just constantly putting under pressure they know that if they if they're not constantly coming at you then they will just get run down. So they're really almost rabid in their approach sometimes. Mm. And the Tars had a chance in this game to get up early. Like we had two early opportunities in seven minutes. We had Fitzpatrick carrying instead of passing through the hands out to the edge within the first three or four minutes. And then um, Curtis Rona was falling over the try line and, and spilled the ball mm. after a great tackle from Masawera. So, you know, that's two two easy opportunities where we could have had seven or 14 points. And instead, the next time we come back and have a third go, 
we just look really mechanical going through the motions and a ball out the back gets intercepted and, and they hand the Sunwolves a try. And yeah. really we're lucky that we got handed one straight back almost immediately or we almost, you know, that you could consider that a 14-point turnaround. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like the Waratahs definitely fell into the Sunwolves sort of trap and you're right, they, they pay at that, play at that frenetic pace and they try and keep throwing it around and stretch you wide and then keep going side to side. And it seemed like the Tars sort of fell into that trap of doing the same thing back to them, trying to score on every play, looking for every single offload, even if it wasn't there. And it just led to a bunch of handling errors and a bunch of turnovers. Yeah, it took them a long time to really steady the ship. And to be honest, I don't think the Waratahs... The Waratahs stars, I actually think, all played pretty mediocrely if that's a word, uh, in this game. Like, I wasn't impressed with Foley at any particular time. I definitely wasn't impressed with Beal. Hooper Hooper was in about, but didn't really seem to have a huge impact. It was it was the lesser names standing up. So Harry Johnson-Holmes, I thought, had a pretty good game. Carmichael Hunt, he was, again, great. He's, he's almost a third fly halves at some times. Like, some of the passes he was unleashing, he was throwing mm. flat balls to guys running through gaps, you know, decent cutout passes, all hitting their mark. Um, and then, again, guys like Alex Newsom, lots of carries uh, and, and strong hitting hitting the gain line, getting over it and recycling the ball, not not getting greedy for metres, which is something I've criticised in the past when we're, we're trying to stand up and drive and drive and drive and we end up either getting held up in a mall or a bit isolated and, and turning the ball over. So that was really positive. And, and we managed to retain, the Waratahs managed to retain a lot of possession as did the Sunwolves when they had the ball. The ref was playing pretty softly at the ruck. Like, if you didn't clearly get dominance and hands on the ball, you weren't turning it over. So there was lots of opportunity to hold the ball and, and really run up some possession stats in this game. Mm. Yeah, going back to what you are saying, Carmichael Hunt, not only in attack, but in defence, he was absolutely immense in this game. And he, I, he is the main reason I can see the, why the Waratahs managed to um, hold out the Sunwolves. Uh, just his general defence and communication in the back line. And also, he was the man rushing up on Hayden Parker when he had that final uh, couple of minutes trying to hit a drop goal to take to steal the win. But he was up really fast on him, um, onto his left foot, and he just managed to send that drop goal wide. So, applause for Carmichael Hunt. He's impressed me in two straight weeks, and he's really taking hold of this opportunity in Super Rugby. Yeah, that's that's an 80-minute performance. That's what that is. Like he's he's there in the dying minutes, still putting in, charging down from ten meters back. And you know, you would say is a crucial play. You give Hayden Parker an open shot. He's he's covered the posts. If he if the ball was gonna uh, go between the posts, it would have had to have hit Carmichael Hunt's hands. It didn't hit his hands because it wasn't going through the posts. So whichever way you cut it, he he's made the difference on that play. Um, and it's something that the Waratahs. Uh, haven't always sort of shown is, is that sort of commitment all the way through. They get maybe get a bit complacent, maybe assume it's just going to work out. No, you got to put in. you got to put in that eff- extra effort. Mm. Um, and, and like you said, he was excellent in defense, but he was also involved in, in multiple tries. Um, and most of, our, most of our best attacking grades came when we went through him and, and got the ball nice and wide early, mm. not taking two, three, four phases to get it across the field. Um, do what the Sunwolves were doing and what most of the New Zealand teams doing when they when they decide they're not going to play through the forwards, they're going to put it through the backs, unless they've got 
um, someone cutting back through on a on a line in a gap, they're spreading it to the edge and stretching you, and and they're just doing it over and over and over, tiring you out. Not necessarily trying to uh, run around you on the first attempt, but but definitely um, pushing you to the edge so that you start forming gaps in other part of the field. See, I don't know if I agree with that because I think the Tars were trying to do that in those first early phases, but they were almost aggressively trying to go lateral and almost avoiding that sort of just straight running that you need at some point. And they started getting pushed and you have all these sort of tight five and other people trying to throw offloads out of a tackle and it just wasn't working for them. I I would have loved to see them straighten up a little bit, play the same way they were playing sort of in the first week um, versus the Hurricanes and just keep it tight a little bit. Um, get a bit of forward momentum and then swing it wide as soon as you feel like you're moving forward. I think they tried to do a little bit much a little bit too early. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't think what we're saying is, um, you know, one or the other. It's still a combination that when you're in the forwards, you're running straight, you're running hard, you've got support. But when you do decide to go wide, don't go halfway there. Get all the way to the edge through a combination of passes. And like yeah. I said, the first, first opportunity was Fitzpatrick with two men outside him, and he decided to carry the ball instead of taking the early pass. So trying to carry the ball and then looking for a difficult offload, that's the wrong decision. The correct decision, and what the Sunwolves did, is, okay, sizing up the numbers, they do enough to draw the man but not come into contact so that then the pass is more difficult for them. Mm. They draw the man, they pass it early, and it's a simple through the hands. And I think the Waratahs... If they didn't score on that phase, they were definitely breaking down the line and, and it could have been a forwards rumble from there. So mm. I see that as a missed opportunity. And I, I just it, it's very frustrating when you when you see them go halfway across the park, you can see the potential for an overlap, and then Beal decides to put his head down or, or just pops it to a forward and either expects that guy to offload or they're creating more difficult opportunities, maybe. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just it doesn't have to be that complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you? I want to ask you. What did you think of Foley and and Beal? The commentators were saying, "Oh, there's a lack of runners. They're you know they're having trouble picking up a man to run through, like laying the blame on the other 13 guys not being in the right position for them." I, Foley was throwing passes behind his players. Yeah, I wasn't particularly impressed with Foley in this one. And similarly, Beal, you could argue, "Oh, it's a lack of match fitness because he is his first game back in." But it really did look like it was his first game in a while. He wasn't linking up with people the same way. And you have to admit that um, the centres seem to function better with Carmichael Hunt and Adam Ashley Cooper at 12 and 13 at the moment. And there wasn't a particular connection between Foley and Beale that was really impressing me that much. As I said, I think they were a little bit lateral. And you're right, they were throwing passes that weren't going to hand and weren't putting people through gaps. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see it, but... I. I, I would I would be okay with seeing Carmichael Hunt and Ashley Cooper in the centres. I, I would expect to see Adam Ashley Cooper once he's definitely fit and ready to run for from his, uh, was a concussion from the previous week, so he's come off the bench because he hasn't been able to prepare all week. But I would expect he ends up on the wing uh, and Rona maybe drops out because I'm just not. I think what Rona's still playing a little bit one dimensionally. He's not bringing any any spark to the backline plays, just a guy out on the wing. I think Ashley Cooper can do more there. But Beal, uh, 
I still don't think I don't think twelve's his best position. I don't want to see him at ten. I think he I think he does belong out the back somewhere, but while you've got Falau there, there's no chance of that happening. So mm. Yeah, interesting. those guys if those guys step up and find some form, this Waratah's team could be could be putting fifty points on weaker opposition. But until we see that, uh the the you know, the, the rest of the cast are going to carry the load and do their best to get away with little wins like this. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, but you have to congratulate Falau two tries in this one, and that takes him up to 58 tries in Super Rugby and the top try scorer for Australia in Super Rugby, passing Joe Roth for that record. And he's only um, a couple tries be- behind Doug Howlett in the overall top try scorer of all time in Super Rugby. So that's pretty good. Yeah, well done. So it's amazing that he can already be at that point where he's about to surpass the top try score. It's yeah, it's just crazy that he's got that many tries already. Mm. And the Sunwolves will be improving, especially they've actually not got any of their Japanese internationals um, at the moment because they're in a training camp ahead of the World Cup later this year. So round, I think round six, they were telling me that uh, they will get the likes of some of their Japanese international, like Michael Leach, uh, Tanaka and love fairly um, in the background as well as people like Sal Marky and Lameki out on the wings as well. So that's a bolster that we'll, they'll get a bit way into the season. So at the moment, they're giving a chance for a few of these international New Zealand players and some of the lower-ranked sort of Japanese players to give it a bit of a look to try and try out. And they've got some strong players. Their, their outside centre, Shane Gates, was really great in this game, didn't miss many tackles and, and was a really strong force in counter-rucks when... The Waratahs got a bit isolated. Uh, Ed Quirk and Tui were strong in the back rowers for the Sunwolves. They were they were contesting at the ruck a lot. That, like I said, the ref wasn't really paying uh, paying the effort um, yeah, yeah. unless they had clear dominance, which which was kind of good. You don't want it turning over a lot, and and that way you knew that they'd really got got the hold of the ball. Um, and Shigeno, the the halfback, was also pretty good. He kept things moving, quick taps, and and lots of uh, sniping. This good. Yeah, it was good. Um, only other thing to come out of this game, Tolu Latu was cited uh, for an entrance into a mall, the same mall where Ed Quirk got uh, hurt, hurt his knee in that. Um, I've l- watched the video. I can't see a huge amount, whether it was just entrance without arms, um, a bit of a shoulder charge or anything more than that. Um, but we'll wait to hear whether anything comes from that. Uh, Tolu has had problems uh well, in international duty with um, some foul play and things in recent years, but uh, nothing sort of more recently. So we'll see what whether he does get handed any sort of form of suspension, which is really going to start hurting him in terms of Wallaby contention if he can't get on the field and play some games. Yeah, it's just discipline. Like I feel like if, if someone like Brad Thorne was coaching Tolu Latu, uh, there'd be a pretty clear message to him like he to would say, be you know... Team. Well, that's that might be the result of not heeding that message. Like, yeah. I just don't think anyone's grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, "Enough's enough. We can't afford to have you coming on as a as a finisher and giving away penalties in awkward positions, like you know, in the twenty-two. Can't have people kicking for goal when we've got a one-point lead. Like, hmm. you've got to be better. You've got to be smarter. So um, that that type of Ill-discipline doesn't belong at the international level, and he's gonna he's gonna cap his opportunities if he doesn't correct it. Mm. 
So let's move from an underwhelming performance in Tokyo to Canberra and GIO Stadium turning back into a fortress for the Brumbies as they absolutely dominated the Chiefs in this one, took away all the possession and put up 54 points. I believe the most points the Brumbies have scored since about 2004. So Brumbies 54, Chiefs 17. And a fantastic game. And I think in the first two rounds, if you told me one of the score lines for the Brumbies was going to be 54 to 17, I either would have told you oh, it's probably Brumbies versus Rebels, or I probably would have said it with the Chiefs scoring 54 and the Brumbies scoring 17. Mm. Like, this is not an outcome many people saw. I know on our on our tipping pool, um, I don't think anyone was anywhere near this margin, although a few clever cookies did tip the Brumbies. Yes, we um, did. Toby, <laughs> you suck. No faith, no faith. So, yeah, just great. And, look, 80-minute performance. Uh, Brumby's defense was the best one-on-one defense I've seen in memory. I can't remember a team being so staunch at in defense, no matter who was coming at them in what part of the field. They made every one-on-one tackle, bar one, which was um, just a one-on-one miss that conceded a try. I can't remember who it was, but um, I think they were over-covering McKenzie a bit. But, like, just... That's impenetrable. And and as a result, the Chiefs had to push harder and try higher risk, higher reward type plays. McKenzie tried to inject himself more often, and it didn't work. They just absolutely suffocated the Chiefs. Um, and, and then they got the ball... I don't know what the possession was in the end, but... It must have heavily favoured the Brumbies because they just held onto the ball. They played big phases, mm. um, and they—they they, this is the type of mentality. I don't know if you see this as well, Archie. Might disagree. What I talked about at times last year with teams like the Crusaders—they're so good across the park in attack and defence. I feel like they are willing to take more risks, throw more offloads because they back their defence to keep them in the game, even if they stuff up a few times. They might they might dr- drop a try because of an intercept or um, they might just, you know, be playing out of their 22 more often for, you know, take as a, as a penalty for taking all those risks. But they know if they take enough chances, enough shots, they will score points and they trust their defense to keep the other team from outscoring them. And that's what this Brumbies team looked like. They were throwing the ball around freely and backing their defense to keep them, keep the Chiefs at bay. Yeah, no, I agree. And it wasn't it wasn't just um, flash out of the back, so there was plenty of that um, with those tries from Tom Banks and long-range things, Leliapana setting up um, a couple of chance penny tries. But um, they had their sort of tight five. They had two um, rolling malls and tries to fill out and Josh Man Ray. So it was a little bit of the old-school Brumbies as well, but they used some of, their, some of their back rowers out wide. Lockie McCaffrey, again, had a great game and was involved in several tries um, again, and they just seemed to be happy to push it from all areas. And Dan McKellar must be absolutely loving seeing what... I'm sure this is probably what he's been trying to get his team to show and do for the last over 12 months, and he's he's finally getting a little bit of reward of, of the system he's trying to put in play. Oh, look, if this is if this is the game, he plays to them every week on back on video and says, this is our style now perform in like this is this is the aim this is the gold standard you just got to do that every week they they'll be they'll be right up there like that was 80 minutes of excellent rugby 
like you said, you had it forward effort. We had a, a, a pretty stable scrum. At times, it was a bit of a battle, mm. but uh, generally speaking, they 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 owned their own scrum for the most part. The lineouts were solid. They they had that platform of the of the forwards moving forward, which gave the backs a license. And the lines out of Leliofano and Simone and Tavita, like they were just cutting in and out and and putting each other through gaps. The no look pass to Banks, who just blew oh, through, and that was and, amazing. And, that was poetry in motion. Oh, your words, but I just like I have no words. Like I saw that, I just went, "That's so good!" Like that's exciting. It's out. It felt like it was out of nowhere. It's mm. a pass off the ruck to Lelifano. He straightens up, and just all of a sudden, he's thrown this super flat ball straight back inside, and Banks just absolutely shot through the gap, mm. and then had the had the step and the skill and the speed to to wrong foot uh, Stevenson at the back to, to score. And like that's just... All, all, their, all their tries were really exciting. There was a lot of build-up. They were playing out of their 22, so they weren't kicking away possession. They trusted themselves to do something valuable when they had the ball. And the Leliafano powell combo finally looked like a 9-10 combo that's been hanging out together for a few years. They're just mm. And the ferocious at the breakdown as well. Like there wasn't There wasn't an aspect of this game where they were less than 80%. They were just just great all over the park, full mm. team effort, and, and the finishers came on and kept it going. Yeah, and like you said, they had a couple of uh, changes of their starting team from a week ago, but they were enforced by injury. You had Pocock out, so you had Tom Cusack helping with that, and then you had both wingers needing to be changed, so Chance Penny and Andy Muirhead coming on for that, and both really impressed, and I would say it would be very hard to leave out either of those, even if um, it turns out Henry Spates healthy for the next game. Yeah, absolutely. Selection headaches, and again, it's a good thing for the coaches. They've, they've got a wealth of, of players who seem to be able to cope at the level and, and implement the plan. And I guess that's that's got to be part of the team functioning as a team, as a 15-man crew, that you can have guys that aren't your frontline players step in and have a huge impact because they're just they're just a cog in the system. It's all working smoothly. Mm. They just need to do their job. They don't need to bring the game winning move or or you know blind break do it all themselves. They don't feel the pressure. Oh, I'm I'm the only guy that can can get us over the line. They can just do their job and the points will come against a Chiefs team that to be honest like they're under strength, but they didn't play that badly until until they had to play catch up and were just. You know, they had no other choice. They weren't playing particularly badly. They were a fair opposition in the first 20 minutes. Brumbies just had their number in just every shut aspect. shut them down, yeah. And I feel like it was a little bit... I think this is going to be a problem for the Chiefs this year because their forwards are a little bit under strength and they've lost a few people and they're a bit um, injury-riddled with people like Sam Kane out. They aren't getting enough of a stable platform for McKenzie... Um, to have enough space to do his own thing. And we know that he's not a very structured player anyway. So it makes it difficult if he doesn't have time for any of his outside back, backs to have any sort of ability to read what's going to happen and run some lines for him and get sort of open for him. So I think he will need to improve his structured play in order to unlock some of this back line and get his the rest of his talented backs uh, a bit more ball. Because you saw in the first week, Anton Leonard-Brown was immense... Um, but wasn't getting the ball as much as he needed. And I don't think any of the backs were really getting um, enough ball. You didn't really see people like um, Stevenson get many runs and things in this game. It just it felt like I didn't see um, the ball really get out past, past McKenzie very often. And 
that's probably testament to really good sort of rushing up defense from the Brumbies in the most part. Yeah, it definitely is. It, the 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 path of the ball out to the backs is through McKenzie in this team. Uh, at times, he's going to dance and skip and jump and weave himself. The Brumbies gave him nothing, but they also didn't. Um, they didn't just swamp him and leave gaps outside. They they were covering all those extra men as well. So if the ball did go, it was a guy under pressure straight into contact. Um, I don't think again any of the Chiefs players are particularly poor. Like they're not weak players. They suffer a bit from not having a guy like Alamalu at the back to mm-hmm. um, give you give you a bit more pace and strength. And and um, he, he definitely brings something a bit more than Stevenson does. Does but like the Brumbies just. The defense did not allow the Chiefs to unlock anything. Some of those guys uh, going to tackle, going to contact in a in a game where people are t- more turnstile than tackler. Maybe they make breaks, and maybe the Chiefs do get some more points. Brumbies didn't allow it. That's it's that one on one aspect that I don't think Australians rugby has seen for a long time. That the guys are so solid one to one with their opposition. Um, it's just so impressive. Yeah, you back them. Uh, nice, nice to talk about something that positive and seeing that's something that positive, but we probably should move on. Uh, we'll go on to the New Zealander games now and Crusaders Hurricanes. And well, when you first saw this game as a lineup in round two, you thought that's going to be a pretty great game, but the, the Hurricanes really put up a second string team, really. I think they were taking advantage of the fact that they had to rest some um, New Zealander players and some all black players and also take advantage of the thing that maybe they didn't think they were going to be able to compete with the Crusaders at home because it seemed like the Crusaders sort of doing it pretty easy in this one. Um, they were blitzing the Canes in the scrum, slicing through in the back line, absolutely blitzing. It was um, Manasseh Mateli with one of the best offloads of the season somehow hovering outside the touchline and throwing it back above him. But Havili as well making some great breaks. And it just seemed like Hurricanes could barely get their hands on the ball. That halftime, the possession was 72% for the Crusaders and 74% of the territory. Um, it did correct a little bit in the in the second half, but still, um, the Crusaders were all over and the game was well and truly won pretty early, I think. But Crusaders take this one, 38-22. Yeah, the Crusaders, just another dominant performance. Um, they're looking like a pretty full-strength side and... and... I don't totally understand these selections out of some of the New Zealand teams. It's it's as if they're I know I know they're, they're all blacks are capped to 180 minutes in the first three games or something. That's that's the rule so mm. uh, that they're trying to abide by for the national side this this season. So it's a bit odd. And and teams that have started poorly have actually probably got themselves in a worse position now because they have kept their players on for longer to try and get these wins so teams like the Highlanders they're, they're going to have to make some interesting selections if if Ben Smith's had a lot of minutes and he, and he now needs a rest well that's going to force a change they probably wish they didn't have to worry about um, the Hurricanes they don't have a bad they don't have a bad um, backline starting this game but they just they didn't have the direction that they would have had with the Perinara Barrett combo starting um, you know, there's nothing wrong with Ben Lamb, Vince Asso, Matt Proctor, Wes Goose, and Jordy Barrett. Like those guys all walk in the most Super Rugby backlines, generally speaking. But to have uh, TJ Perinara, Lamarpe, and and then Barrett not even in the side, it does feel a bit like they've conceded this game. And maybe New Zealand teams would rather play from a two or three loss start to the season and and finish strongly 
knowing knowing their what what's required rather than having to pick and choose mid season when these guys get their big arrests. They're just going to cop the defeats early on when when they might might steal a win because it's round one and two and teams aren't settled yet. Yeah, potentially, potentially, yeah. And in this as well, um, Artie Sevilla was missing as well from their forward pack, who's just an immense talent for them as well. Bowden will be back next week, so he was off having his honeymoon. That's why he missed sort of the start of the year. Um, only got back from that just before this game and was saying that he would be available to play, but it didn't sound like they were ever going to select him for it. Uh, but the Hurricanes have a have a tough one next week versus um, rising Brumbies team, so I expect them to put back into a, a bit more of a full-strength team for that one. Yeah, it would be interesting when we talk tips. Um, Hur- Hurricanes are going to be stinging. They, they haven't had the start to the season they want. With Bowden coming back, I'm sure they'll expect to correct that. Mm. Um, and the Crusaders, they, well, they just roll on. They... They, they can probably afford to rest some of their stars here and there and, and maybe they would rather get out to a good lead in the season, put a few wins on the board and then start resting people. Mm. Um, maybe it's a um, complementary approach what some other teams are doing. Um, still the team to be feared in this competition. Definitely, definitely to be feared. But yeah, you saw some late glimpses from the Canes when, when they gave people like Ben Lamb an opportunity to see how damaging he could be and why... We were so big on him last year when he went on that um, breakout sort of season and scoring all those tries. So he will continue to have an impact this year. Let's move on and we'll go across to some of the South African games and the Sharks uh, back in Durban hosting the Blues. Look, this one sort of went a little bit to script. Um, I know Toby was tipping a bit of a Blues upset, but myself and you, Leo, we, we thought the Sharks would be strong enough to hold it and the Blues never really looked too threatening in this one, and the Sharks sort of um, went about their business and won this one 26-7. Yeah, Toby's not here to defend himself. Uh, might be a good week to take off because he, he didn't he didn't tip particularly well this week. It's only three <laughs> wins. A lot of faith in this Blues side. I, I think, again, maybe actually it might have even, new, even been new last year, Arch, seeing the potential... Um, before it had actually yeah. really found itself, found its way onto the field, there's absolutely potential. Yeah, yeah. Like once, once burnt, but <laughs> there's there is potential in this Blues side. They're not, uh, they're not a bad group of players, but the, they haven't had the time to develop the combinations. And like like we talk about with the Brumbies playing one to fifteen, no one has to stand up and be a superstar to get the win. In the Blues at the moment, I think there's still a few players trying to stand up and do everything, um, and and perhaps that's not going to uh, be the way to go. That the Sharks are much more of a one to fifteen um, sort of solid outfit, playing at home, good win away last week, but just too solid at home. The, the there hasn't been that much turnover in that team, so it really is just continuity from last year, mm. um, and they sh- they should they should be the ones to beat at the moment. In the South African Conference, they um, seem to be playing the most consistent rugby, and and they've got solid, solid fly half um, sort of direction through the backs. The kicking is pretty solid. The forwards are a big group, and and the discipline has improved. They were much more raw last year. Um, they're still giving away some penalties, but it's it feels like it's trending down, which will probably help unlock a few more points because they won't be conceding territory and possession as often. Yeah, I think both of us agreed that we thought the South Africans um, conference probably was up between about between the Sharks and the Hagiwaras for this year, um, and it's definitely starting to pan out that way as well. Um, 
things don't get easier for the Blues. They're headed to South America next week um, versus the Hags. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the other game, which was a little bit of a surprise, was the Stormers versus the Lions down in New Orleans. And Stormers, after that pretty abysmal showing in the first round versus the Bulls, really rebounded in this one and kept pace with the Lions. And um, it took it took six minutes beyond uh, regulation time for them to get over the line at the end to score. But they managed to do it and win this one by two, 19 to 19-17. Yeah, I guess in one sense, the Lions had this game uh, wrapped up and and maybe maybe let it go like watching that last play in isolation you, you, it's sort of not really fair but you've got a, a move off a scrum and, and the quagga smith the open side flank it doesn't even move and there's just this yawning gap uh for as things papier to mm, to race yeah. through just like what, what where, where's your concentration gone at the end of the game you've you've almost single-handedly bungled that um Maybe maybe he wasn't particularly motivated by the jersey selection because this was just an ugly looking game from the from the fashion point of view. These superhero jerseys are terrible. Like the and this Spider-Man is Spider Man jersey. Well, I don't really like them, but it's worse when the two jerseys look so similar that it's hard yeah, to pick true. which teams which. It's just too much. Anyway, not a fan of that. But it was a bit of a grind. The lines they're, they're probably they're past their peak, right? Their their best rugby was maybe a year and a half, two years. Two seasons ago, um, they're struggling to find that electric form they used to have. Uh, they they let the Stormers stay in touch. Stormers at home is always a risk. Um, I don't think this really tells us much at all. I think this just says that these two teams haven't found consistency yet. Um, I think it was more errors than it was strong defense keeping the score down. Yeah, potentially true. And also, yeah, errors leading to things like yellow cards, like Marnus Showman um, getting a yellow card in the 78th minute for the Lions. Um, and that just continues to give a bit more momentum and a bit more space for the Stormers to get back down the other end and score those sort of last seven points to take away the win. But you're right, I, I definitely didn't particularly enjoy watching with those jerseys on either. Um, wasn't exactly most favourite. I didn't mind the Bulls one from a week ago, but... Um, yeah, not a, not a fan of going full Marvel in 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 it, my Super Rugby at the moment. Speaking of the Bulls, they were back into, well, they've had the history of having the weird strips, and their away strip this year is green for some reason, as they took on the Haguaras in Argentina, which I don't quite understand why they did. It's not a terrible jersey, it's just it's not their team's jersey; it's someone else's team. They've just t- decided to take away. Um, but a very wet and windy game in Argentina in this one. And it was sort of back and forth games to the start. But the Haguaris managed to get a little bit of the momentum and actually were able to spread the ball wide to some of their speedsters like Delgai and Moyano in this game and, and took the win 27-12. to 12. The Bulls um, kept trialless in this. And I was rewarded for sticking with the Hags at home, even after a strong Bulls performance, which mm. which felt pretty good. I'd, I've got a lot of faith in the Haguaris. I, 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 I think they've lost some... some Momentum losing Nick Sanchez, but their new their new uh, fly half seems to be stepping up into the breach pretty well. So uh, I've got some faith that uh, he'll he'll do the job. Tough work being a Bulls fan, like to go from last week's performance and then and then see this, and not to mention every month you're buying a new jersey to make sure you're up to date with the, <laughs> with the supporter gear. Just just not 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 what you expect after the first week, but maybe maybe again the the inconsistency between. Um, round one firing well, and then round two having to travel and 
maybe not being quite as comfortable and, and a stronger team uh, coming and, and knocking you around a bit. And the Hags are a very good team, and, and we know that they're getting lots of reps together between Super Rugby and, and International. So it doesn't surprise me that they're, they're strong at home. And again, that they've found their way out of this playing with emotion only to, to be a bit more clinical and really utilise their, their, their stronger players. And um, Diaz Bonilla, the, the new fly half, his name I couldn't remember before, he, he's doing a pretty reasonable job considering he's going to be measured against Sanchez all year. Um, he's, he's keeping that team together and, and the forwards, nice, nice solid group of forwards from year to year, Matera, Kramer, yeah. uh, Lavanini. Yeah, um, Ortega Desio and Lavanini were, were doing well in this. Yeah, and Creevy, of course, is just re-signed for another couple of years. So, yeah. um, look, the 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 Hags are going to be a, a tough tough feat for anyone to beat at home. Mm. Uh, the Bulls need to need to go review what happens what happened in week two versus what they did so well in round one. And and I'm not sure who they're playing this week, but but um, we'll see who the real Bulls are if they can right the course. Yeah. Oh, look, I think they suffered a little bit with the weather. Um, with it being so wet, they didn't really, they weren't really able to unlock their back line, and they looked the best the week before when when Andre Pollard was able to uh, unleash people like Jesse Creel and um, Roscoe Speckman in this game. They just weren't able to do that. I think their highest back sort of meters gained was Hendricks with uh, I've got it here, forty four meters gained was the highest in in the, all of their backs for this one. So really, just didn't didn't get too much. Um, in terms of ball and in terms of space out wide for them. But credit to the Hags, they, they played the conditions better and they were able to still um, get a couple of tries across in this one. Tipping. And on to tipping for round three of Super Rugby. And this week we have the Tars on by, so they get a bit of a week off to to think about how, how they can improve their performance that um, from last week. But we get the Rebels back into the mix and... Really, what you'd probably say is the most, the three most exciting Australian teams are the teams playing this week. Um, we'll start off on Friday afternoon, and in Wellington, the Hurricanes are hosting the Brumbies coming across. Yeah, and this is a really tough one because I want to, I want to back the Brumbies based on last week, like just such a strong, complete performance. Um, but I, I guess, like like usual, I'm, I'm typically pretty conservative. I need to see it more than once. Uh, certainly, wouldn't be nice. Would be nice to also see it away from home. So, to to be beaten against a, a in a derby game in round one, fire up for round two, and and run all over a depleted New Zealand team. It's a different matter going to New Zealand, playing what has historically in recent years been one of the strong New Zealand teams with presumably Bowden Barrett back. Uh, we don't see the lineup yet to be certain, but. With Bowden Barrett back, I, I think the Hurricanes probably have my tip. They're going to be stinging. They need some wins. They need to they need to perform early in the season so they can get some momentum for the rest of the Super Rugby season and for their players leading into World Cup selection time. Yeah, I'm probably similar to you, Leo, in this one. That uh, it will depend on the Hurricanes team they put out. Um, not only if they have Bowden Barrett, but if they're starting TJ Perinara and Bowden Barrett, I'd probably go for the Canes, but I think if they don't have those two people together, um, I'm going to back the Brumbies in this one. If they can muscle up um, in defense the same way they do it and make some of those one-on-one tackles, they should be able to shut down what is a potent 
um, attacking sort of Hurricanes backline, and with people like Tom Banks and Lele Yafano firing, I reckon they can put some points on again, and they've shown what they can do. So if the Hurricanes don't put up their full-strength team, I reckon the Brumbies might take this. Oh, definitely. I can see it going both ways. The tipping the margin is going to be even more difficult, let alone who you think is going to win, because it could go could go you know several points either way. So, mm. Taff, I hope you're watching. Get behind your Brumbies and see if they can do it away from home. You should be de- glued to the TV screen on Friday afternoon and into Friday evening because um, out of Amy Park in Melbourne at 7.30, you have the Rebels versus the Highlanders. Um, which should be another cracking game. Rebels with one week off to prepare for this one. I feel like this rarely happens that we get two Australian teams on a Friday, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm still pretty excited about the Rebels. Uh, they've had another week off. They can consolidate the good things from round one against the Brumbies, and, and they'll have had two weeks to watch the Highlanders, who, again, two wins from two games, so looking like a strong side. But I think they're probably at risk of uh, having a bit of a down game here because they've, based on that 180 minutes worth of rugby for All Blacks players, if they're going to enforce that properly, they're going to be down some guys. They're going to be guys who might only have 20, 30 minutes left in the tank, mm. might be sitting on the bench for most of the game. And if the Rebels can capitalise on that early on, they might be able to run out uh, enough of a lead that no All Blacks coming off the bench for 20 minutes are going to bring it back for the Islanders. So uh, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in tipping the Rebels because I think the Highlanders are... They're going to be a bit under strength. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't actually realised that until um, you mentioned earlier that, yeah, people like Ben Smith have already played pretty much. I'm pretty sure he hasn't come off the field, so he shouldn't really be playing this game at all, should he? Um, which is a big loss for them. So I'd, I'd definitely back you as well, and especially with the Rebels one week off to prepare specifically for how the Highlanders um, are going to come at you, especially having a bit of a blueprint from what the Reds did to them last week. I reckon... Um, David Wessels should be smart enough to capitalise on some of those tactics they use, and and as well, the Rebels will welcome back uh, Reese Hodge into their lineup this week as well. He'll be back from injury um, and should be named, you'd think, in the starting team, but potentially off the bench. So I, I reckon take the Rebels at home here as well. It'll be interesting um, to see where they do put Hodge actually, because it it's almost disruptive bringing him back in. But he's such a good player; you've got to find room for him somewhere. Uh, the bench is probably not a bad option, uh, easing back in. Mm. Uh, I'm just thinking, like, think 12 months ago, if the Rebels had got a, what is it, a seven-point win against the Brumbies last week? Yeah, seven thereabouts. points. Yeah. If they'd done that last year with Debrasini, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, they're looking pretty good, how much how much confidence would you have in this game versus this year when it's Quaid there, and Quaid just, again, one game, one, small sample size, but just looking so so well uh, acclimatised to the Rebels system, playing so well with Genia, again, off one game. Um, Debrisini, who's at the Chiefs now and, and wasn't in that understrength lineup uh, last oh, he got round. got injured, got injured. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, that so sucks. He may, may well have okay. been there, but yeah. I missed that. Fair enough. There, yeah, so, like, just the, it's that confidence. Like, I, I feel like Quaid will have the consistency that we, we didn't get from their 10 mm. position last year. Debrisini had hot and cold points, but it'd be a game like this where I'd think, oh, the Highlanders could probably still roll them. But with Quaid there, I'm much more confident that the Rebels can keep it together. Yeah, it's just, it seems like they just have a bit more maturity with having Quaid and Genia there just to help them close games out. So you'd be a lot more 
happy that if they if they were there with sort of five minutes to go and they were only two points up or three points up that they still might be able to take this one home whereas if you have some of a few of those more inexperienced players or even if you had someone like Reese Hodge at 10 you'd be a bit more worried about the Highlanders um, maybe just putting a bit of extra pressure making someone make a false kick or a false move um, and then managing to capitalize and get some extra points just towards the end and and steal a win but I, yeah. I think you're right. It's a different Rebels team. Yeah, just, again, specialists in their positions. Been saying it since last year, we want specialists in their positions, and that's what Quaid is. He plays in one spot, and he does it well. That's his trade. Yeah, definitely agree. So I, I think Hodge should come off the bench for this one. Um, I don't think you should. I think if he's going to start, he's probably going to start at 13 outside Billy Meeks and Tom English, um, unfortunately, gets the relegation. That's the only position I can really see it's sort of happening, um, but I think he'll potentially come off the bench. Um, next, we have uh, the last of the Australian games in uh, Suncorp Stadium on Saturday night. The Reds get to come home, and they're taking on the Crusaders. So a tough one for the Reds here, but playing at home, there's definitely got to be a boost, and they'd be coming back on a not a complete high. I'm sure Brad Thorne's still working them hard after that uh, disappointing loss to the Highlanders, but... They're definitely looking like they're they're on form to start the season. And, yeah, another tough one to tip because the Crusaders are subject to the same rules as the other New Zealand teams. I think they've done a better job at rotating their players through. They've managed to get into the lead. Um, although against the Blues in round one, they did, they did have to close that game out. So there may be a few less minutes in players like um, Richie Moanga is a key one, I'm thinking, yeah. uh, to, to see this game out. So opportunity for the Reds to upset definitely if they can bring the energy of round one and and um, not be disheartened by a loss I'm still going to tip Crusaders just because they are the benchmark they they have no loss of um they, they have no down stats just because they're away from home it's it's always it's always a strong Crusaders whether it's home or away and um again let's see it a couple of rounds in uh, if the Reds and the Brumbies can keep the same form week to week, then I'll be, have to start, you know, tipping them when they're at home over teams like Crusaders, but but not just yet. I'm doing it, Leo. I'm taking the Reds. I'm tipping You're them brave. against I, I respect you. the three times Super Rugby champions. Well, I'm taking the Reds. You know, you know you need to you need you know you need to tip some um, some um, counters to the the what it seems to be the obvious tip because we've got some pretty competitive players in our running rugby pool. So yeah, that's you need it. to you need to make some big calls and and well I'm not, still I'm still on top after the second point. round but yeah I got to I got to make some calls and look last round you only had one away team getting the win um in round 2 and that was the Waratahs over the Sunwolves and the Sunwolves who only just pipped them the Reds have historically been bad away from home I think they've lost 22 out of the last 23 away games so it might be 23 out of the last 24 after that last one but Reds back home, it's a different story. They they tend to be able to roll teams at home. And if they're anything like that um, performance last week, I think they, they might just be able to put one over the Crusaders here. If they come up fast and they start hard, um, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the Reds. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure that they, they have their full strength team back up there, but I'm taking the Reds. You heard it here first. Good luck, mate. I'd love to see them get the win. Oh, I'm not as not as brave as you. <laughs> um, 
And next we'll have the Chiefs and the Sunwolves, and that's actually on Friday afternoon out at Waikato, uh, sorry, Saturday afternoon um, up at Waikato, start kicking off at 5.30, and the Sunwolves on the road. I expect the Chiefs probably will get a few more players back in a bit of a stronger lineup back up in this one. Um, I definitely would be looking for the Chiefs to rebound uh, in this one. Sunwolves, uh, they just tend don't tend to seem to be able to perform when they're on the road. Yeah, and still down those Japanese internationals, I'm, I'll be taking the Chiefs as well. Head home, bit of a bit of home cooked hungy, get the Chiefs back in form, back focused on on winning, and and I dare say they'll they'll put some points on the Sunwolves. They've got to they've got to start getting some reps together and, and laying some points on the scoreboard, getting some bonus points, uh, so if they're going to keep up with their uh, fellow New Zealand teams in their conference. Yeah, fair enough. I think Toby Toby did say he wanted to tip the Sunwolves in this one because he's just such a big fan of their systems this year and, and Japan as a whole. So, very brave, Toby. We commend you. Oh, God. I don't know about that, Tobes. I think, mate, you're drinking a little bit of the, the Moondog honey there, mate. You're drinking a little bit of that Moondog juice and getting up on the Tokyo train. But, all right, if you want to take the Sunwolves, fair enough. Um, he's let's... even further behind on the, on the ladder, Arch, so he's got to really tip some controversial <laughs> picks. So, Fair enough. Um, let's move on to the South African games and Lions versus Bulls and the Lions at home in Joburg um, and the Bulls returning from South Africa. Um, what do you think? Are the Bulls going to be able to get back to that form or are the Lions going to be pissed after that performance versus Stormers? Oh, I think the Lions are going to be sad and, and hurting initially because someone's going to whip him for a day or two as, as punishment for slipping there at the last in the 86th minute but uh, again it's, it's that early season stuff neither, neither of these South African teams look consistent um, I think the Bulls will I think this season I feel like the Bulls will bear out to be the better team I don't know if after that long travel and then still not getting to come home uh, is going to help them I, I, I'm going to stick with the Lions um, but I expect it's probably it's probably in the sort of 20 points aside kind of range, a bit like the Stormers-Lions game. I'm not expecting anything too outlandish. I think both teams will just be doing their best to consolidate their position on the table, try and grind out a win. I think we'll see a lot of ex- expansive rugby, even worse if the weather's poor. I haven't, I haven't looked at the predictions yet, but um, Lions at home at altitude, I, I think they're probably, they've got my tip this week. See, I, I think the Bulls will benefit from um, coming back, and as long as it's not torrential, pouring rain and wet, um, they'll they'll be able to move the ball a bit better in this one. So I'll be taking the Bulls in this one. I don't think the Lions have anywhere near the juice that they've been having in the past two years, like you're saying there. Um, and it looks like Toby's taking the Bulls in that one as well. Uh, next, we'll go to Durban, and the Sharks uh, get to stick at home in this one and taking on the Stormers. Um I feel like the Sharks should be the favourite in this one. Um, very unlikely, I think, the Stormers can come to town and upset them. And as a, as I was saying, the home team, especially in South Africa, always seems to have a bit of an advantage. Yeah, definitely. I, I would expect the Sharks to come away with this one, for sure. Um, not too much more to add to that. Stormers got away with one last week, looked terrible in week one. Um, maybe, maybe they're on an upward trajectory. I don't know. I'd... Like you, you wouldn't be surprised if somehow the Stormers came out and the Sharks had a bad game and it was another, you know, twenty to fifteen 
sort of mm. grind. But um, no, I think I think the Sharks are the real deal. I think I think they're a proper team. They're the ones that all the South Africans will be measuring themselves against. So I reckon they'll get the win this week. Yeah, and Toby makes that a sweep for the Sharks in that one. And the Haguaris versus the Blues. And Leo, I think you've got me and Toby on board in this one. Um, definitely everyone backing the Haguaras, uh with their third home game in a row definitely helps the South American team to start off their season with a good run of um, home games to to get a bit of home crowd support behind them and get a bit of passion behind them. But yeah, Hags look like they're going to be too strong for the Blues in this one. Yeah, I expect the Hags again. And again, learning from last year, strong at home, but they also had that four-game uh, tour where they won all four games on the road. So not to forget that they, they can put it together. I think that was part of a seven-game winning streak. So mm. maybe this year they'll be starting off with their streak. Uh, I'm still in the Hags' corner. I want, want to see more more wins for the Argentinians to make sure um, they're getting their opportunities in the, in the finals come the end of the season. Mm. Let's move on to some of the other rugby news. And we'll actually start with the Super W competition that kicked off on the weekend. Um so the Brumbies women versus the Waratahs women out on Saturday night, opening up just before the Brumbies Chiefs game. And um, the Waratahs, the champions from last year, taking this one home, getting the win, 26 points nil, um, with Grace Hamilton immense in the number eight position for the Tars women with a double to start off the season with a bang. Um, whereas the next day on Sunday, we had the Rebels taking on the Queensland Reds women and that was a try fest. 17 tries in this one, but none for the Rebels, unfortunately. It was 112 points, nil. That's two games to nil in the in the Super W, and Queensland, even with some of their talent on the bench, like fullback Sammy Traherne, were absolutely electric in this one. Uh, I believe a uh, hat-trick of tries to both wingers, as well as Alicia Fakasalia at 13 as well. And the Reds look like they're going to be very challenging this year, especially with adding to the talent pool there. Um, Colby Jane Morgan coming from New South Wales and playing halfback for the Reds this year. They'll they'll be definitely difficult to difficult to beat. But this week you've got Queensland versus uh, Rugby WA getting their first game of the year, and the Brumbies host the Rebels coming to town as well. So I didn't see either of those games, uh, Arch, this week, and. I'd, I'd really just want to say one thing with regards to when we talk about running rugby. Um, the Tars and the Reds for Super W were the two finalists last year. The Tars eventually winning the, the comp in the final. But it, it will be a bit of a problem for the Super W competition if there's going to be this much disparity between the teams. Um, like we want to see the Australian teams run uh, united for the sake of the national team. There probably needs to be a bit... Uh, a measure to to do something similar in Super W to make sure that there's parity and and that you don't have these blowout wins. I I don't know how much enjoyment uh, spectators even for the Reds would have got out of a 112 to nil uh, sort of game. Um, that that worries me a bit. So I hope I hope uh, ongoing they can spread the talent a bit more. Maybe maybe those two teams just recruited and signed all the all the existing talent early on, and the Brumbies and the Rebels are developing their own. So maybe it'll come in time, but I find it's a bit concerning that they're, they're that difference. A twenty-six nil is one thing, but one hundred and twelve to nil is not much of a game. That's that's very concerning. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think well, we the Rebels were definitely the weakest of the teams last year, and they they had the least amount of notable talent. And I think they're struggling probably to 
recruit so much from local stocks. I think a lot of their the girls down in Victoria are getting snapped up by the AFLW as well. Um, but I think you'll you'll probably be impressed with what Rugby WA, the Western Force women, um, bring. They they're reasonably competitive. They've got some good talent in their their squad, and I think they've got a bit of the size to match up to Queensland this week. Um, the Brumbies were. Uh, I don't know if they were just a little bit slow on the uptake of this first game of the season, but they were much more competitive at times last year. But you're right, New South Wales and Queensland, definitely the teams to beat. Um, they don't play this week, but they play the week after, and so that'll probably be definitely a game to tune into. Next, we should wrap up the Six Nations, and that had their round three and a bit of upset in that. Um, well done to myself and Leo for tipping France, getting up over Scotland at home, 27-10. to 10. Um, The young guns from France get named here, and uh, they they really put it to Scotland, uh, with Scotland only manning to get a consolation try in the 78th minute in this one. So uh, good signs for France to actually rebound a little bit after two disappointing weeks. Knew they had it in them. Mm. They're just a... Uh... They're always they're always in the match. The 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 French they they don't see anyone as unbeatable. So um, good that they're at least winning at home. Yeah, definitely. And gotta gotta love seeing England lose and Wales taking it one off England, ruining the Grand Slam and potentially ruining um, their chance to win the Six Nations title this year. Uh, it's definitely made it a lot more competitive. But Wales twenty one, England thirteen, winning in Cardiff. Brilliant. Uh, Wales always the the favourite um, uh, Northern Hemisphere team for mine since they had that awesome jersey in the 2003 World Cup. Uh, <laughs> and oh, can't, couldn't be happier for March. Don't worry, England. You'll get another chance to lose next week. Well, at least I have to say I'm very happy about this one, especially because I managed to tip this one as well. And I don't think either of you blokes uh, managed to do it either. Love tipping against Eddie Jones and love love getting the win. Um, so absolutely stoked with that win. But scores through Corey Hill and Josh Adams there for Wales, um, wrapping it up. Uh, great great to see England sweat a little bit. And the last game, which was a little bit surprising at how close it was, Italy um, took on Ireland in Rome. And Ireland getting the win in the end, 26-16, but definitely closer than anyone suspected. It was 16-12 to Italy at half time. And you would have thought Ireland needed to stand up and get a bonus point in this one because they would have seen that Wales had um, toppled England, so they still had a chance to win the Six Nations, but they didn't even manage to get a bonus point versus Italy. Yeah, and maybe it's maybe it's just a, a bit of a stumble for the Irish, maybe a bit of complacency. Italy might have the worst history of any team in any sort of international competition that's that's run year to year. That they. Their number of wins you could probably count on one hand in the last 10 years. They're pretty hopeless. But, um, yeah, it's surprising the Irish didn't really put put more points on. Maybe maybe there is an Italian resurgence coming along. Ireland, when are they? They're playing Wales in the final round, I think, yep, of the yep, Six Nations. That's right. It's, I don't know how they schedule this thing. They always seem to get the deciding games in the final round. It's, it's whoever's doing that job is doing very well. So, yeah, keeping it close. Keeping it close. That's Def- definitely good, good for the close. spectators. Mm. So this week we have um, probably not quite as many exciting games. Uh, they're leaving that for the final round. But Scotland v Wales up in Murrayfield. Um, 
I think everyone's going to be looking for Wales to continue it, even though it'll be tough up against the Scots, but Scots are still um, struggling with a bit of injury, especially in their back line. Yeah, under strength due to injury, that's that's unfortunate. Um, happy to see Wales win if Warren Gatlin's going to talk some more smack. He, he put Ernie Jones in his in his seat uh, <laughs> after the win last week, so happy to happy to see Warren chirping after a win. We'll hopefully see it again this week. So I think we're all taking Wales in that one. Um, then England get to head home to Twickenham, uh, and they're versing Italy coming to town and. I don't think anyone's suspecting any surprises coming out of Italy this one. It's going to be a sweep for England for all three of us. And then the final one out of Dublin, um, Ireland taking on this new young gun French team that must be sort of feeling a little bit more confident after that win over Scotland. Yeah, like I don't expect too much from the French team, but like I said, they always feel like they're in a game. They're never uh, intimidated by the opposition. They'll always have a real crack. You know, this is this is maybe not... Not a exciting sounding game particularly, but Ireland needs to put their foot down and, and really own this game and dominate it, um, particularly early. Make sure that the the French feel like they've they've lost their opportunity in the first half. Like really put them to bed um, if they're going to make any sort of impression on the Welsh. Similarly, I guess the Welsh against Scotland, they should be doing the same thing. They should be really firmly beating the the Scottish understrength side. So mm. um, it'd be a bit of a bellwether to see these two teams um, go head-to-head in the final round after they seemingly have a, a, a fairly soft run into that last game. Yeah, that's right. That pretty much comes down to which teams can get some of these bonus points um, to put themselves ahead. Um, but we all suspect Ireland will rebound at home and back in Dublin, they're, they're still too too tough to beat from this young um, younger French side. That wraps us up in terms of Six Nations. Just a quick update. Major League Rugby is still going on in the US. A few exciting games, but the San Diego Legion are still on top of the table with 18 points and with New Orleans gold um, with a game in hand, uh, just one point behind because they've been capitalizing on some of the bonus points. Um, But a few other teams with Seattle Seawolves and Toronto sort of nipping at their heels a little bit. The game probably to watch isn't this week. There's a few sort of less interesting games, but if you're going to pr- tune into one, um, keep an eye out for on the 10th of March, Toronto versus San Diego. I think that'll be definitely a game to watch, but we'll keep you updated with what's happening in Major League and Rugby. Leo, any final comments for the weekend? Look, Arch, I'm really excited to see these, these resurgent Australian teams take on competitive opposition. I think of the three games, I'm probably most looking forward to Rebels Highlanders, uh, but they're all going to be good. Like it's hard to split them. It'll, it'll be very hard to tear myself away from the TV this weekend. Yeah, I know. I spent about sort of six or eight hours in front of the TV last Saturday. Um, I don't think anyone was particularly stoked with hanging out with me there. But all I was doing is yelling at a TV and getting really excited. So I was having a great weekend, and I plan on having another great weekend watching. Um, the Brumbies, then the Rebels, and then the Reds on Saturday as well. So I can't absolutely cannot wait for this one. Um, thanks everyone for tuning into us. As we always say, get onto our social media, get on our Twitter at Running Rugby Pod or on Instagram and Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast. We'll announce any changes to the lineups or any big news on there. Um, otherwise, mates, um, subscribe to the show, give us a review. Make sure to let your friends know we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play as well, as well as any other platform you can probably find. Um, so download us and subscribe, guys. Uh, we'll keep 
bringing you all the best rugby content in Australia. But we'll be back next week, hopefully with Toby in tow. Maybe a bit upset about some of the picks that he's made this week, but look, that's it. You snooze, you lose, I guess. Keep on running. Run.